know that you may feel fine. And so the best indicator of your health is not always in how you feel. All right? The, the best indicator of your health uh, is often what the blood tests show and when they check out what's going on in, internally. Well, over the next several weeks, that's what we're going to be doing as we look at the events leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus that we're going to celebrate uh, on Easter weekend. Uh, but I believe that as we go through these weeks and these events leading up to this, God is basically going to uh, run us through some tests so that we can see what's going on on the inside and really get a view of where we're at spiritually and in our walk with Jesus, or if we need to begin a walk with Jesus, or whatever it may be. And so I encourage you to come. Uh, you know, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew tells these stories about the rest, the conviction, you know, and, and trial of Jesus, and all these things that happen. He, he tells it in such a way that we, uh, we are really the ones that are on trial. If you pay attention to the way Matthew writes these events, it looks like Jesus on, is on trial, but in God's eyes, it's you and I that are actually the ones that are on trial. And as we look at these events unfold and we go through this series, we should see ourselves in these stories. I, I've told kids all the time when I was youth pastor, when you're reading your Bible, put yourself in the story that you're reading. Put yourself in the situation that you're reading because you are a part of the story. And so when you're reading God's Word, it's just not always about Him or about them, but it's about where do I fit into this and what is, what is you know the Bible trying to teach me or tell me at this point in the Bible because you're a part of the story. And so as we go through and we look at these events unfold, we should see ourselves in these stories. And as we do, we will learn why Jesus came and had to do all that he did instead of you, all right, and instead of me. And by the way, this would be a great series to invite uh, someone to that maybe you've been having conversations with or you've been building a relationship with them uh, and you know that they're not a follower of Jesus, this would be a great series to invite them to. Uh, and, and maybe even someone that you're trying to introduce to Christianity. I believe it would be a great series. And, and I, I mentioned last week, uh, they won't come until you invite them. And so uh, they, they have, have to be invited. This morning we're going to begin, though, uh, with the story of Judas. All right, but we're going to pick it up. Uh, here in chapter 26, we're going to pick it up starting at verse 6 this morning, okay? God's Word says this, While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, who was a leper that Jesus had actually healed from leprosy, okay? A woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. Now, some of the other gospel accounts, we know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all recorded these events, the story of Jesus and his ministry and you know the, the, what Jesus went through and his death, burial, and resurrection. All, of, all the gospel writers cover these things. Uh, and some of the other gospel accounts of this tell us that this woman was actually Mary, who was the sister of Lazarus. 
All right, Lazarus was the one that Jesus raised from the dead, and Mary was uh, his sister. And so we find over in another gospel that records this exact same uh, story here, that it was Mary who came in and poured the perfume on Jesus. And, and it's also important to note here that this kind of perfume would have been like a family treasure. All right, this wasn't uh, your typical Avon perfume, all right? Uh, this, this would have been kept in a, a sealed alabaster jar, a container, that you could only open by breaking the actual jar. Uh, it could only be opened once. And so it was very expensive. Uh, Mark notes over in his gospel that this perfume would have been worth 300 denarii or or however you say that. I'm so glad I didn't live back then because I don't know how they pronounce their money. I mean, uh, that would be one denarii or denarii or whatever for you. Equivalent today to about $10,000, okay? So does that help you a little? This, this jar of perfume, today's value would have been right around $10,000. And she just pours this out on Jesus, all right? Verse 8, when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. They were angry, all right? They couldn't believe it. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money been given to the poor. And I think it's important to note here, uh, something that maybe you haven't picked up on before, but it's the word they. All right? This objection to what happened here came from all of the disciples. All right? Now, we often think one of the other, uh, John specifically mentions when he's, when he's reporting this scenario and this story in his gospel, he specifically says that it was Judas that said this. But Matthew records that they were all upset about it. That all of them were angered by what Mary had just done. So evidently it was the common consensus of the group, but Judas was the one who actually spoke up uh, first. Verse 10, aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. Now, he's not saying here, Jesus is not saying here that they should neglect the poor and ignore poverty. You know, his whole ministry, his whole life uh, 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 was an example to us to care for uh, the poor and the needy, right? So that's not what he's saying. He's simply saying that this is a unique and a special moment that they should be taking advantage of and understanding it to the degree that she understands what is taking place and what is about to happen. All right, verse 12. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever this got this is so cool to me. Wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. I, I love that. There's something here that I'd never noticed before. But basically, Jesus is saying, one day, you're going to be telling the story of my death. You're going to be writing the story. As you recall it, you're going to report it. You're going to write it for all of the rest of humanity and the world to know, to see, and to hear. And you're going to remember this, and you're going to write it, and you're going to report it about how perceptive she was to who I am. <laughs> right? To who I truly am. Verse 14. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? 
So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver, which would be today's value about 7,500 bucks. And from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. And here's the deal. The Jews knew that Jesus was terribly popular. He had a huge following, right? A lot of people were following Jesus and wanted to be with Jesus and around Jesus. And so they didn't want to arrest Jesus in public, you know, when a large crowd would be gathered because they knew he was so popular that it would cause a big scene. They didn't want that. You know, uh, and, and so they needed someone on the inside to tell them where Jesus was when he wasn't out in public with all the people and the crowds around him and all that. And, and so in the next few verses, we see that Jesus and his disciples, they found this private place, all right, to uh, celebrate Passover. And Judas now has rejoined them. And I want to skip down to verse 21 and pick it up there. And while they were eating, he said, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to one another, to, to him one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Now, I want to I stop here and I want to talk about Judas for just a second because, you know, I, I believe we probably think of Judas. When we think of Judas, we probably think of this sleazy, evil-looking guy, right? I mean, that's how we have him pictured and, and maybe depicted in our minds. You know, he, he hissed when he talked, you know, had a snake's tongue. And, uh, you know, kind of like most people look at John Calipari, uh, the coach at Kentucky. I, I think that's probably how you, we view Judas, you know. Uh, and if you're from Kentucky, I'm sorry you're from Kentucky. That's all I could say about that. But, but, but seriously, we pro- I, I'm kidding. All right, please don't walk out. But seriously, we probably think of Judas as this shady disciple, right? I mean, Judas was the one who slipped out after dark and smoked pot, all right? He, he was that disciple. He was the one that had the flask in, in his backpack. He was, he was that one. Y'all know some of you here can relate to Judas sometimes. Uh, but we kind of have him pictured as that guy, right? Uh, but that's totally the wrong picture of Judas, and, and I want you to get this. You know, seriously, notice when... Jesus said that somebody was going to betray him. They didn't all look at each other and go, Judas. <laughs> you know, they didn't. They, they, you know, no one even suspected Judas. In, in fact, Judas, I would argue that Judas was one of the most respected disciples that was following Jesus. And, and the reason that, that I would argue that is because Judas was the keeper of the money. Right? You don't let the shady one of the bunch be the keeper of the money. Huh? You, you just don't. You let someone that you trust, that you feel like you can count on to be the church treasure. Right? To take care of the money. And so when Jesus says that someone is going to betray him, they all start looking around and wondering, who is it? It wasn't obvious to them who it was going to be. In verse 23, Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. And in John's account of this story, Jesus dips the bread and hands it to Judas, basically saying the same thing. Now you may ask when Jesus said this and, and, and you know Jesus did this and basically pointed out the fact that Judas was the one, you know, wouldn't this have created a, a ruckus? I mean, a, a huge issue there at the table. Well, scholars say that here at this point, 
after what Jesus has already said, you know, about this, is that, you know, think about it, there's at least 13 of them that are gathered around the table now. And there's a lot of conversations. You can imagine that many people sitting at one table. There's a lot of conversations that are taking place. Everybody's not part of the same conversation. And so the scholars say that at this point right here, more than likely Jesus is speaking specifically to Judas in a way that only Judas can hear and know. Maybe some others that would have been there close by. But right now, Jesus is pretty much just having a, a private one-on-one with Judas. And, and what Jude, Jesus is saying here is that the one who shares this piece of bread with him is the betrayer. Verse 24, the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. How sad would it be? For one, someone, for Jesus to speak over your life and to say, it would have been better for you had you not even been born. Verse 25, then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, said, you have said so. Right? And scholars say that Judas may have asked this question because maybe, he, you know, he himself was still wondering if he had the courage to go through with it. Uh, you know, or maybe... He was asking Jesus this to just kind of try to find out what Jesus knew. All right, It appears kind of like Jesus, you kind of maybe know what's going on. And so he asked the question to kind of see just how much Jesus knew. At any rate, at this point in time, we know that Judas gets up from the table. Uh, he goes and betrays Jesus and, and, and you know, finds the soldiers that are going to ambush him and, and arrest him. And so this morning... What I want to do is I want to look at how Judas represents us, right? How Judas represents us. He's not just the lone villain out there, okay? Even though we make him into being the bad guy in this entire story and the history of Jesus, we kind of, you know, make him the lone villain in this story, but he's not. Judas represents all of us. He does, and the reason that we know that is you can see it in how the story is told and the things that they say that Jesus said. Matthew shows us that all of the disciples, he makes a point to say, all of the disciples showed disgust for what Mary did, right? It frustrated them all, made them all angry when this woman pours this perfume out on Jesus. And also, when Jesus tells the disciples that someone will betray him, he presents it more in the form of a question. I mean, he doesn't say, we have a traitor among us and there he is, right? I mean, he doesn't do that, even though he knows, and he very well could have done that. But he presents it as more of a question to them all. He doesn't say, you know, we had this traitor, there he is. He leaves out the who it is, all right? And the word he uses here for betray literally means to hand over or to sell out. And so Jesus is basically saying, one of you will sell me out for the right price. Is it you? Look into your own hearts. It's basically how Jesus is saying this. And they understood the question because notice how shaky and uncertain their response is. When Jesus says this in verse 22, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Right? And Greek commentators say that the, the, the way the question is phrased is that it implies a lack of confidence. 
right? They say that you should almost read this as saying, surely you don't mean me, is it? That this would have been, you know, how they would have responded. And Jesus goes on to tell them, don't miss this, it's not just one of you, it will be every single one of you. In verse 31, look at what he says. Jesus told them, this very night, in just a few hours from now, you will all fall away on account of me. Wow. Don't miss this. They may not have sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver, but at the time, none of them were committed enough to him to go all the way to the end. Not one. Not a single one. They all have a price that they are willing to walk away from Jesus. And a price is a price. Whether it's 30 pieces of silver or fear for your own life, a price is a price. There's a story that's attributed to Winston Churchill. And uh, the story goes that he was trying to make the point uh, at, a, at a press conference kind of type situation about why England that there's a bug up here flying I, y'all can't see it and I'm not losing my mind alright there's a bug hovering over my notes and uh, we can't have that I can't do that uh, but anyway this he was explaining to this group of people and some reporters were there that England should never compromise with evil, all right, and and the newspaper reporter, she was a female, she told him, you know, she was basically saying and reporting that he was an extremist, he was a warmonger, and so Churchill points her out and asks her the question, he says, Madam, would you sleep with me for five million pounds, which was a lot of money, right, and they said she thought for a minute, she said, well, my goodness, Mr. Churchill, for that amount of money, well, I guess, I suppose I probably would. We'd have to discuss the terms, of course. He then asked, would you sleep with me for five pounds? Mr. Churchill, what kind of woman do you think I am? And Churchill replied, Madam, we've already established that. Now we're haggling over the price. <laughs> Now, I'm almost certain that this story was made up because when you Google it, you find that it's attributed to a lot of people in history. And so I don't believe it's true, but it, makes, it still makes the point a price is a price, right? A price is a price. Uh, the question being asked to the disciples, and I believe being asked to us today, is this. What is your price? What is your price? Look into your heart. Be honest. And ask, what is my price? Jesus, uh, Jesus, Judas may have been the one to do it initially for 30 pieces of silver, but they all do it eventually. Even Peter, the strongest one of them all, right, will cave and end up denying that he even knows Jesus three different times. So again, Judas' betrayal is presented as a question. What is your price? What is your price? And and it isn't easy to admit, but we all have one. 
we all have a price. And I'll be honest with you, and this isn't easy to, to share with you, but years ago, I came to the place where I found my price. Right? And I was burnt out. I was tired. I was frustrated. Lynette can tell you I wasn't a very nice person to be around or, or to live with. And, you know, I was in ministry, and I came home, and Lynette will tell you, I verbalized it. I would walk in on numerous times and say, I am done. I'm done. I don't have to do this anymore, and I won't do this anymore. And, and so I, I'll tell you that it was a, a low time in my life because here's the deal. I had found my price. I had found my price, and it was there that God began uh, to do a work during that time in my life, basically rebuilding me from the ground up because I had found my price just like Judas had found his price, right? But, and the point is, is that I was just like these disciples. These disciples were no different from Judas. I was no different from the disciples, and I was no different from Judas. And if the 12 followers of Jesus and your pastor don't always get it right, and we found the price in our lives, I would argue that you have one as well in your own life. We all have a price. Maybe, you know, what is your price? Maybe following Jesus for you is only something you do when it's convenient for you. Maybe that's your price. When it becomes inconvenient, then that's when you sell out. That's when you walk away. That's when you say, that's not for me. Right? Maybe you're willing to follow Jesus when it's convenient and easy, but at what point do you stop? Right? Maybe you downplay your commitment to Jesus in front of your friends because you don't want them to think you're some freak. Right? Toby Mack called it a Jesus freak, wasn't it him? You don't want people to think that about you, right? I mean, with this group of people over here, you all holy, 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 right? And this group of people over here don't even know that you are a Christian and that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. So what is your price? What is the price that you're willing to pay not to be a follower of Jesus or perceived as a follower of Jesus? Maybe it's an area of your life that you just don't want to let God have control of yet. Maybe God's convicted you about something in your life and you just don't want to give it up. And I don't know why I've made a note of this in my notes, but someone here does. Maybe you know that you shouldn't be living with your boyfriend or girlfriend and sleeping with them, not being married to them. And that's your price. Some of you know that you work too much and you're neglecting your family because of your career. And that's been your price, right? Maybe he's calling you to put him first uh, in your finances and trust him with your tithe and being a, just a generous person. Because in the early church, that's how Christians were known. It was by their generosity. And so maybe this morning that's what he's been speaking into your life and you're resisting him. Maybe it's simply committing to the church. You know, joining the church, getting involved. One pastor uh, said it like this, getting off your blessed assurance and getting in the game, right? And I'm quoting someone else. And you know you should, but you don't because it's inconvenient and you don't think you have the time to be committed to it. You're so busy. And so your commitment to Jesus stops at what is convenient 
for you. You see, we all have a price. We all have a price. Maybe for you it's getting baptized. Whatever it is, that's your price. That's where your commitment to Jesus and following Him stops. All, right? all of us have one. Or we've had one at some time in the past. When Mark tells the story, <laughs> I love this. I'm totally going to go taking a trail, all right, chasing a rabbit here. When Mark tells this story about, you know, the arrest of Jesus and these events that took place in his gospel there in Mark, he's talking about how the disciples are all forsaking Jesus and denying him and all that, which is happening just a few hours after uh, what we're talking about. They're in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Mark adds a very interesting detail to this story in chapter 14, verse 51. This is how Mark, this is what Mark adds to this story. A young man wearing nothing but a linen gar garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. What in the world? I mean, why in the world is this detail in the story about Jesus being arrested and crucified? And I believe there's actually two reasons. The first reason is this, because it's crazy and it's interesting, right? I mean, anytime you're telling a story and someone runs through it naked, you have to include that in the story, right? I mean, if that happens this morning, if someone naked runs through church... You know, and later on in the week, someone says, well, how was the sermon Sunday at church? You're going to tell them the story about the naked person running through church, even though it had absolutely nothing to do with the sermon. And Mark is like, oh, by the way, in the middle of all this, the craziest thing happened. But the second reason, that's my perception of why he put it in there, but real Bible scholars and commentators think that in this picture of a naked man running from the Garden of Gethsemane, that we are being, we're, we're, we're given this as a metaphor of us, a metaphor of the human race as a whole. Remember Adam and Eve, their issue in the garden? They were naked, right? They were hiding from God because they realized that they were naked. And, and so the whole human race is depicted here. All of us, even Jesus' closest disciples, have abandoned him. And think about it. Jesus had been nothing but loyal to them and faithful to them, but for the right price. For the right price, they sell him out. For the right price, we all sell him out. And in the moment, the ultimate Failure of the human race is put on display right here. We abandoned the one who never abandoned us. So let that sink in. Judas represents you. And Judas represents me. And sure, maybe you haven't done what Judas did, but I would say it's probably because you've never been put in the same situation, under the same pressure, the same temptation, but the stuff in our hearts is really the same. There's a price. There's a price. We all have a price that we are tempted to sell out Jesus. But the good news is, here's what's great 
great news for you and for me this morning. We're not saved because of how committed we are to Jesus. Don't miss that. You are not saved because you are more committed than the preacher, right? You are not saved because you are more committed to Jesus. You are saved because he was committed to you. He was committed to you. He didn't sell out. He wouldn't walk out. He wouldn't be bought off. He was committed to you. And he paid the price for your sin instead of you having to pay the price for your sin. He told us. He said, every single one of you. Jesus said, all of us fall short. (laughs) All of you fall short. All of you are willing to sell me out. None of you are perfect. Not even the 12 that I picked to follow me. He says, all of you fall short. And you, every single one of you need a Savior. That's you and me. Right? We all needed a Savior. We're as wicked as Judas standing before a holy God. We are. We all have sinned and need to be redeemed. We're all outsiders and outcasts who need to be rescued and need to be saved. And you know who understood this? The woman who came, poured out the perfume, and anointed the Savior. She got it. There's a reason she's included in the story and Jesus said every time this story is told her story will be told she was so overcome with love she was so overcome with gratitude to him that she did the most extravagant thing that she could think of Right? And the disciples' reaction to, to the woman uh, anointing Jesus with this perfume is very revealing. That They think that the perfume that is poured on Jesus was actually wasted. And, and in one sense, they're right. I mean, it was wasted. It was useless to Jesus. He didn't need that. He didn't need that expensive anointing to somehow become the Messiah. You know, he didn't need that. It smelled good for a few hours, but sure, then, you know, it was gone. It was actually useless to Mary because Mary didn't really need to do that. She didn't need to somehow earn his favor. You know, she didn't need to score some holiness points with Jesus before he left. She didn't really need it. This act served only one purpose. To declare her love for Jesus and to put his value on display in her life. Can I ask you this morning, is that you? Is that you? Is your life an extravagant outpouring that shows the world the value of your Savior? Right? To say to to Him, you are worthy. You are worthy of 10 million bottles of the most precious perfume. (laughs) And so here's the deal. You can tell, I mean, you can identify with Judas and this morning my prayer is that you can identify with Mary uh, in this story and you identify with them by how you respond to Jesus it's in your response who you identify with this morning 
you know, and, and by what you're willing to sacrifice for him or, or what you're willing to sell him out for. If you say, you know, God, this is, this is not my preference. It hurts like crazy, but if you can somehow take this and take this broken vessel and take this, you know, me and use it for your glory, I'll go. I'll give it all. I'll go through whatever it takes to show other people who you are and that you are worthy of my life and pouring it all out for you and your glory. You're worth it, Lord, because you poured out your life for mine and I didn't deserve it. I was as guilty as Judas. There are times that we find ourselves at a crossroad in life and we have to make this decision. Maybe there's more than one time in our life we find ourselves at this crossroad in our lives and maybe ask, Jesus, are are you really worth it? Is, Is this really worth following Jesus listen Mary is the person here who understands who Jesus is and what this is all about and she's basically saying this morning I deserve nothing you and I deserve nothing we deserve that arrest we deserve that conviction we deserve the crucifixion we deserve the death and Mary's act this morning is saying to us I deserve nothing but God has given me everything in Jesus he is my all all to him I owe sin had left a crimson stain and he made it He made it white as snow. And I just want to close with this again because the praise for what Mary represents here is absolutely amazing to me and incredible. I mean, think about it. Her sacrifice meant so much to Jesus that he makes it a point for her story to be a permanent fixture of the gospel message. So that we would see the kind of love, the adoration that he so rightly deserves. Her story will forever symbolize what responding to the gospel looks like. Her response is what our response to Jesus must be. I give it all. I pour it all out for him. And I'd like to think that Jesus could still smell the smell of that perfume as he stood before Pilate and his accusers. And he faced that pain and that death that he still would get the aroma of that perfume that had been poured on him just hours earlier. And he faced that pain. He faced that death. Instead of you, instead of you and for you he poured out his life for you are you willing here's the question this morning are you willing to pour it all out for him he poured his life out for you are you willing to pour yours out
for him. Mary shows us the perfect response to the gospel, the perfect response to a Savior this morning. Or are you Judas? And with you and in your life, there's a limit. There's a limit. There's a line that you will draw and say, that's enough. That's all I'm going to do. Is there a price that you're willing to pay to stop, to walk, to deny him? This morning, my prayer has been that we see ourselves as Judas, but we also see ourselves because of Jesus in Mary. Right? We all stand before him, wicked and evil. But knowing him as our Savior, knowing him as the Messiah, knowing him as the King of Kings, we can come to him like Mary and say, it's all about him. I'm going to pour it all out for him because he poured it all out for me. And this morning as we close with a time of prayer, you know, maybe God spoke to you about something in your life throughout this message this morning. The Holy Spirit convicted you, and you just want to come and pray about that and give that to God. Maybe it's a line that you've drawn. Maybe you can you know there's a specific area in your life that you're not fully committed to following Jesus in. And this morning, he said, hey, that, that's your price right there. That's your price that you're willing to pay. And this morning, you just want to come pray about that. I invite you to come. We're going to close in prayer. I'm also going to invite you to come this morning if you want to come pray about anything. Situation you're going through. Maybe someone that you know is hurting or going through a, a, a rough time. We've got several in our church right now that are uh, in need of a physical touch from God. In need of a spiritual touch on their family. Satan is alive and well. He's active and he's doing his dead level best to destroy families. <laughs> And so this morning, maybe there's a family that you know you would like to come pray for. Maybe you'd just like to bring your family and pray. I don't know, but we're going to close in prayer this morning. And I know the Holy Spirit has done His work through the Word that's been presented to us this morning. And so if you would like to respond in some way this morning, come now before we close. God, we love you so much. We love you that you uh, you often will remind us exactly of what we need to be reminded of. It's kind of hard to listen to. It's hard to think about sometimes that as we stand before you as a holy God that we're just as evil and as bad as Judas. I mean, we, we would never honestly say that about ourselves probably, although some of us might, but... God, the fact is, is that you came for every single one of us, regardless of what our price has been, regardless of what our sin was, regardless of how bad we may have been, and we think that we can never be forgiven, and we can never be good enough, and that is the truth. We can never be good enough, but because of you, you, through the blood that was shed on that cross of Calvary, you cleanse us, you renew us, you make us into a new creation, a new creature. We're reborn 
as a child of the King of Kings because of what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary for us. None of us deserve that. Not a single one of us. We all should have paid the price for ourselves, but you loved us enough that we didn't have to do that, and you took that on upon yourself. And so this morning, I thank you for how convicting uh, your word has been to us this morning about, you know, is there a price? Is, is there a point to where we sell you out? Is there a point to where we quit? Is there a point that we'll go to and say, no, no more? But God, thank you for this beautiful picture and this beautiful reminder of the woman who came and showed the great value that she saw in you and who you are and what you had come to do. And that's for every single one of us. So I pray today that as we go out from this place that we would live our lives in a way that we are totally pouring ourselves out so others would see the value in, in you. Not so that they would see us, not the, uh, because they're going to look at us and they're, they're going to know there's nothing special about us, but there is something special about our dad. There's something special about being a child of the King of Kings. And so, God, I pray that we would live our lives with that mentality. That that's who we are. That is what you have done for us as a child of the King. And God, again, not that they would see us, but so that they would see you. And they would want to have a relationship with you. And they would allow you to do in their lives what you've done in our lives. And if there be one person here today that has never accepted you, they've never allowed you to adopt them into your family, I pray that today would be the day that right there where they sit or where they're kneeling or wherever they are right now, God, that they would just confess to you, they're Judas. They're Judas. And they need to be forgiven. And so, God, today I pray that they would seek you for forgiveness in their lives and they would totally commit their lives and surrender themselves to you so that they might pour themselves out totally to you for the rest of their life, the rest of their days. There wouldn't be no end game. There wouldn't be a stopping place. There wouldn't be a, a place and time where it becomes too inconvenient. And, God, I thank you for what you're doing in hearts and lives and in families just now and so we pray for those in our church so many that are going just through physical situations in their life and and God I pray today uh, many aren't here I pray today that you would you would just be with Shelby there and uh, the rehab he's had he's had a difficult week but great attitude through it all because he knows he's a child of the king but I just pray today that his room there would be a sanctuary of your presence pray for Brenda's dad I pray for Sandy's mom you know the situations that they're going through in their face and it's hard on a child to see their parents grow old and grow weak so God I pray that you would give the families exactly what they need to endure to get through these difficult days but God just be with their their parents, our parents, the ones of us that are having to see after our parents and take care of them God I just pray that you give every single one exactly what they need in every moment of every day God I pray for Charlotte I know she's been through a lot of tests this week and we just continue to lift her up to you and pray that you bring healing in her body, to her family her life God, we love what you're doing there and we just uh, continue to lift our to you. Now, there's so many, 
many needs, many situations that are represented at this altar this morning. Families in our church that are going through stuff that's just hard to imagine, hard to go through. But God, I pray today we would see our need, our dependency on you. Because without you, we have no hope. We have no help. So today our trust is in you thankful for that. We're thankful that we can come before you with these weaknesses, with these situations, with whatever it is. We can come to you, seek your hope, seek your help. God, again, this morning, we just want to tell you how much we love you. What an honor and a privilege it is to go out from this place and be a representative of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would do it in extravagant ways, the way that Mary did, so that people would see the value having a relationship with you and we'll be careful to give you the glory and give you the praise that you deserve in jesus name we pray amen amen god bless you guys hope you have